believe that your personal life and your professional life are inherently linked. And when you do the work on both sides, you can become the most successful version of yourself. This is a place where wisdom meets leadership, where success meets spirituality. Welcome to Do the Work with Denise Love Hewitt. I'm sitting here today with the lovely Alana Mayo. I really, really admire Alana. Alana is here for a number of reasons. She's incredibly kind. She walks through space with a huge amount of grace. She's funny. She's a wonderful leader. But really, what I really admire most about her is her ability to navigate corporate Hollywood. She's had a long career in sort of navigating bureaucracy, was a key player in getting films like Selma and Fences Made. She's now one half of Outlier Productions, her and Michael B. Jordan's production company, where she brought forth Just Mercy, Raising Dion, and many more projects. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, my friend. Um, <laughs> you sound like a robot. Um, <laughs> Oh, they can't see the video. <laughs> you really can't see you're doing the robot. Uh, I'm doing the robot. Anyway, go on. No, but really, I, I want to start sort of talking about, before we even get into sort of your journey and pushing a lot of these amazing sort of cultural films forward that have changed our sort of culture. Oh, thank you. Like, the number one question I have is like, why Hollywood? You know, it's almost hard for me to answer that question in a way that'll be helpful to anyone um, because I, I feel like I've known I wanted to do this not just in the like idea of working in entertainment or film or TV, but I feel like I've specifically wanted to have a job as a quote unquote boss in media and entertainment since I was a little kid. Like my parents tell me about, my dad was a radio executive and they tell me about when I was like five years old and I went into his office and I put my feet up on his desk and I said, I'm going to run all of this one day. So I don't know where it came from, but I always wanted to do that. Um, my parents both worked in entertainment, but mostly music. So I feel like I've always thought that you could blend creativity with business. And the older I got and before I went to college, I just loved movies. Um, and so, and I watched ton of TV. So I think there's some combination of interest in what I saw growing up. And I don't know if I just had some innate, you know, desire to run things so I could tell people what to do. Um, and all of that kind of coalesced right before I went to college into thinking that I could have a career in quote unquote Hollywood. And I'll also say like, I was so lucky mainly because my parents worked in entertainment as I had so many people along the way who were able to hone and focus, you know, that interest into, okay, here's what a career could look like. Um, and I don't know if without people just spelling out to me, Hollywood equals X career that I would have gotten here on my own. But um, I don't know if that's answering your question. It's a hodgepodge of things. It, it is. I think that what's interesting is that like I didn't, my parents are not in entertainment. So like I had to figure that out on my own. And like, as a kid, I was like obsessed with old movies and Hollywood. I had like a Hollywood themed birthday party when I was like eight. Like we drew like chalk star walk of fame. It was like really funny. Now I look back and I'm like, oh, but I think there's something about being a kid where you're really not censored. So you sort of like understand your passions and your interests. And if you like look back, a lot of people, I think what they express, you know, of course you change your mind a lot, but a lot of the passions you have as a kid, sort of if you follow your passions, parlay into a career later. I think you're really lucky that you had people that helped you sort of navigate that. I mean, I sort of back ended into it sort of 
not knowing where to start largely because I didn't have anyone who could make an introduction for me. And that's huge. I mean, understanding how the business works and like where to begin is half the battle because it is a very like closed door business. Like you don't even know how do I even like as an actor, how do I find an agent as an executive? How do I even find an, an assistant job? I'm so lucky to have had the people that helped me along the way. And I think that that should be available to everyone because were it not for being in Lee Daniels office, him having two black women who worked in there that I could identify with, having the language to say, oh, these two women are development and production executives. And thus, um, that's what I want to do. And then another person coming into my life who is a Hollywood insider saying to me, what do you want to do? I'm going to help you get your first job. And me being able to use that language, I am positive. I am positive that so many of the things that happened for me and that I was able to do in my career subsequently would not have been available to me or at least not on the timeline, you know, that they have been. I literally have had people just spell it out for me. And I don't know why we don't just do that for young people that want to do this professionally. I think that's really awesome. I think that you're also lucky that like you got that job and then you actually it was actually what you wanted to do. Like I've had so many instances where I'd get, quote unquote, the dream job and I'd be miserable. Um, I started, you know, my career in fashion and how I got my first. Well, I was doing wardrobe in film and TV. So I did like Ugly Betty and then Sex City 2. When I did Ugly Betty, the only reason I found and got that job was, I kid you not, and I tell this, I th- I look back to this version of myself and I'm like, oh, God bless her hustle. I was on page 100 of Google. I swear to God, I manifested this and I found the email to the Ugly Betty wardrobe department and it showed up like page 100. I applied, got the job, whatever. But like, that's how I got that. Then my first producing job, I was running a nightclub in my early 20s. I hit up every single location scout that came through the venue and said, I'm trying to move into production in Hollywood. Like, who can you introduce me to? And ultimately, it was like an exec at HBO. Her husband ran a division at Viacom. And that's how I got my first producing job. But it was like, I didn't even know where to start. I was just resourceful with the tools that I had. And I think that, like, of course, every job that I got, I was like, oh, I'm done. I don't want this. <laughs> I don't want this. We now know you were meant to not work for other people. <laughs> you were meant <laughs> to work for yourself and run things and create businesses. But I, I, I think it's a combination of both, to be honest. Like, I don't want to I don't want to suggest like. I've just everything that I have in my career has been because of luck and timing. There's been a lot of that. But the reason I give Lee so much credit is because I think I, I don't know, I found that on like Craigslist or, you know, Mandy.com or wherever you would advertise for, you know, interns at the time. I definitely think there's a hustle involved. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I don't think the fact that this industry requires for people to be resourceful and, and self-actualized is the worst thing in the world. I actually think like that's one of the strengths of this industry that, you know, somebody can come in, not, you don't need a certain degree to do any of these jobs. There's so little things that you need, but you do need access or yes, so few things rather. You need access. And that's the thing that I credit all of these people in my life for having. And again, I know that a lot of it came to me because of my own personal privilege. But even without that, you know, I think if any, if one of any of the people that have helped me, you know, over the course of my career came into my life, that would have been opening up access to something that I would not otherwise be able to provide to myself. And I think it would be, 
disingenuous for anyone who's had success in their career in this industry, particularly. I'm sure this is true for many others, but particularly for the way that Hollywood works, I think it would be disingenuous for anyone in my position not to acknowledge how important that access was. Yeah, I think that and that's my biggest thing is whether it's entrepreneurship or whether it's, you know, being in Hollywood, whether you're a screenwriter or, you know, I help lots of founders. The goal is I'm like, let me help you skip some steps because I had to figure all that out. And if I have the opportunity to help someone skip steps, why wouldn't I help them skip steps? Right. It's just like that is the least we can do. There's so many brilliant, talented people who just don't have the contact to get their foot in the door. And it's like that is an easy, like small, free thing you can do to really change someone's life. And so I think that like that's what I love about you as a leader in this business. Like you definitely are conscious of making sure that you succeed, but also that the people around you and throwing a hand back that like you pay it forward. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, just the way that I was raised, I'd be embarrassed to, you know, go home if I wasn't doing that. But I also just, it's, it's, I don't know, it's my own opinion, but to me, it's so obvious this stuff shouldn't be proprietary, you know, like the privilege and the, and the access should not be owned by a small group of people. I think that's counterproductive to a creative industry that thrives off of having people that you would not expect not be able to predetermine, not be able to like seek out, come in and give their creative gifts to it. I think an industry that will not survive without innovation has to constantly be encouraging other generations of people to come in. And then when you think about like, if, you know, on the creative side of it, or even on the business side of it, if you think about the people that we revere, right? Like the people that we look up to, oftentimes these are the people on the fringes, you know, like I like to think of myself as rock and roll, but I'm also like fairly square, you know, like I did like four years of college at an Ivy and I was an English major and, you know, like I grew up in the suburbs. I don't even think I'm the person who's going to bring the new most exciting, most creative, most brilliant ideas to this industry. What I think my skill set is, is I'm a, I'm a rabble rouser. I'm a contrarian. I really like to push back on people to your point about navigating, you know, corporate jobs. I like to be a person inside who's agitating and who's suggesting that we could do things that haven't been done before. So I look at myself as a facilitator for bringing the people in, giving the access to the people that will actually create the kinds of things that are going to make the jobs that we do meaningful. You know, it's not meaningful for me to sit in a staff meeting. It's meaningful for me to sit in a staff meeting to talk about giving, you know, budget and resources to this amazing director who's going to make this amazing film that some kid is going to want to hang a poster of in their college dorm room or that will help affirm their sense of self or will help challenge their sense of the world and hopefully live forever, you know, as a part of our culture. That's, that's really what I'm supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, access and giving access to people that otherwise wouldn't have it is intrinsic to that. So you mentioned two things. I want to talk about two things. First being, I love that you've identified like yourself as a facilitator. I think it's so important to know a like what you're really good at, but also what brings you the most joy. And I think that like that is so key to know that, like, for example, I was a really good producer. Producing did not give me joy. And I think it's like that's it's also defining like separate from what you we can be good at a lot of things. What is the thing that I consistently find joy from and I'm good at. 
but also you talk about navigating bureaucracy. And I want to talk about this. I want to dig into this a bit because I was a producer in Hollywood at two very big corporate companies. And I had a very, very hard time navigating those dynamics. Like there was many times where we, you know, we'd be testing content at Viacom and I'd be like, okay, that feels like a little misogynistic to me. Like I don't feel really comfortable watching this show. And the response would be like, well, well, you're not the demo. You're not the demo. And I was like, shouldn't we be asking how to make me the demo? I would be there and I'd be sort of pushing back on you know, 100-year-old processes that haven't changed. And I was like, we could do this for less money this way. It'd be faster. And it was constantly like, well, this is how things are done. This is how things are done. And eventually what that does was, is isolate you. It isolates you. And then you don't want to speak up because you're ridiculed for speaking up. And this happened time and time again for me. And I'm obviously not one to sort of stay silent. And I, I just wonder like sort of how you have found to effectively agitate. Like, I am so fascinated by that concept because it was just something that, like, I do not possess. And the people that can navigate that well, they create such important ripple effects of change internally, but also they they know how to get things done. I think in the best version, yes. And also, I think that most people who are at least attempting to do that are having so many experiences that mirror your own. It's very challenging, at least in my experience. Like, I don't want to speak for, you know... I don't want to suggest that I have any sort of like long lens uh, look back on what could be effective or not in the general. I'll just speak to my experience. It's emotionally, physically, mentally very taxing. Um, And sometimes I've had to just find a job to heal from the trauma of working in corporations because it's very hard. What I try to do is having had about 15 years of experience under my belt is that it is important on the front end to try to take jobs. If you're going to go work inside of a system, and I always like to think of myself as like an inside man, if you're going to go work into a, inside of a system, it is important to vet at the beginning if there is any potential to come in there and make an impact because of who you are and what your values are and what you believe. And I didn't always you know, as I think most people don't have at the beginning of my career, have the ability to do that, you know, have the ability to say, I'm choosing this job over the other. In a world where you have the ability to choose jobs, I think having a person inside of, or ideally people inside of an organization who you feel like you can directly agitate or agitate with in an even better case scenario is massively important. Because the reality is you're trying to turn an aircraft carrier, 90 degrees in any direction. And it only happens in small increments. Like it's impossible to move it, you know, completely overnight. So the people, not the places has been what's important to me. And when I haven't been able to do that in advance, I've tried to find those people inside. So when I worked at Paramount, there were people in all different departments of all different levels who we'd all have the same conversations, you know, why aren't we making this sort of content? What about the model works versus doesn't? And, you know, the main way that I, in my job, am able to, to push is by advocating for content. And that's about just being unrelenting and, and literally fighting, um, hopefully not physically, but literally fighting for a project or a filmmaker or a script. And I just tried to do that for things that I felt could be, progressing the industry as a whole. I also had to learn to do that, acknowledging the business side of things as much as I acknowledged and fought for my 
gut instincts or creative passions. So a huge part of it for me has been learning and understanding models inside of the structures that I worked in and being able to hit people with that argument, which often is surprising to them, right? Like often they don't expect for me to walk in the door and say, well, I went and got the finance guy to run several models, or I disagree with the estimates from international marketing because I think they're looking at this short-sightedly. That usually catches people off guard, particularly coming from me, either because I'm young or because I'm a woman or because I'm black or all of the above. And that kind of disarming has been really effective in my experience. And then I think, you know, finding, going back to kind of finding your people inside of these places, trying to find allies. Um, you know, Michael has really been that for me in my career because Michael has a lot of influence and has a lot of, um, you know, like people want to be in business with him and quite a few people want to be in business with him. So if he and I collectively agree on something that could be a change agent, him putting his own weight behind that has, has done more within organizations than I've ever been able to do as an employee there, um, which I didn't expect, frankly. Um, so there's a bunch of different ways to skin the cat, but it's, you know, that are like kind of practical, but all of them fall under the umbrella of this like unrelenting, what I would call rabble rousing, just constantly challenging people who agree with you or don't constantly challenging a status quo. And that just is how I communicate, you know, like it's to the great frustration of a lot of my personal relationships. I don't know how to communicate without arguing, you know, even when I'm wrong empirically or otherwise, I don't know how to, how to talk through things without constantly challenging what I'm thinking, what other people are thinking. And I think that's necessary inside of those bigger institutions. Now I will say I have worked very hard and I have mixed feelings about this because it feels like a personal compromise, but it also, I haven't figured out another way to do it. I worked very hard on learning how to be, I don't know if this falls under code switching or not, but learning how to be a person who can speak to people in senior level positions inside of these organizations. Oftentimes, you know, however much the identity matters, oftentimes these are straight cis older white men. And I've worked really hard to try to find ways to communicate with them where I can be really strong in my opinion and where I can push back a lot and have a conversation and not be shut down. And that is not to say that I'm not still shut down or patronized to or, you know, disregarded, but I have tried to develop actively that as a skill set which bums me out that that's still so necessary because there's not, there's not enough people in those positions where you don't have to kind of translate as much as I find myself doing. But that's been another thing that has been a necessity for me. I, maybe there's another way to do it. Like I find there are filmmakers who are uncompromisingly themselves and the way that they talk to you in their life is the way that they talk to you in the boardroom. And I now see that and know that that's possible but having started as an executive and started on the corporate side, I realized like, oh, part of one of my strengths, I guess, is that I can somehow bridge that gap. You know, like I can be a person that corporate people feel like they can talk to and communicate with. But in my soul and in my spirit, what I'm trying to do is help the filmmaker or help the creative who comes in the boardroom as their full authentic self. 
I think that's an important skill, though. Like, I'm on the, the camp of, I mean, I am who I am, and, like, you're going to get the same version of me across the board. And I often found that was, like, it was hard for me. I didn't have the ability to, quote-unquote, play the game a bit, right? And, like, God bless those people that can. I also believe the game needs to be recreated. But I think that's one of those things that I felt... I'm getting better now. Like sort of one of my things now is I have proxies that can help me navigate that on my behalf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like I often found that for me was a very frustrating experience. So I was like, okay, I'd rather live on the outside than on the inside yeah. because my just blood pressure is probably better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, probably. I think it's important to acknowledge that both are valid, you know? And that's what I was saying earlier about going back and forth to jobs. Like I remember talking to Michael and just being like, I have lost my belief that I can be myself and do this professionally and be successful. And I literally just was paralyzed. Like I was like, you know, I had worked for a company on a, a like kind of entrepreneurial effort that got shut down. And so I was between jobs and I could not figure out, like if you asked me like, oh, what do you want to do next? I could not figure out an answer to it. And it was only after weeks and weeks and weeks of one realizing that I'd been working at this crazy pace and I'd been trying to spin all these plates and I'd been trying to be like myself, but also figure out how to be myself, which required a lot of not being myself. And I tried to be an advocate for people and then felt like I was constantly letting them down. And then when I just thought about the various aggressions, micro and macro that I'd been dealing with for like eight years, I was like, oh, what you actually need to do is like not work for a bit. And thank God I had a severance and I was able to take a couple months off. And then on the other side of that, when people would say, what do you want to do? I wouldn't say like, oh, I want to go be a producer and not an executive. I would say, I want to find a person or people to work with who have the same values as I do. And, you know, it's been the blessing of working with Michael is there is a person who I work for and with who is a good person who's super smart and super savvy and super ambitious, but who is a good person who is as motivated to help other people and bring a progressive change to the industry and the community in which he works as he has to be successful as an actor and a producer. And it literally restored my faith in being able to do this professionally. I don't know that I wouldn't have tried to like find a career in another industry were it not for the past almost three years. I think that's a really big thing because oftentimes like we don't realize so much of like my corporate Hollywood career, like I always say like, if there was someone that had like groomed me or created or nurtured me, I probably wouldn't have left and started my own company. I started largely because I couldn't find the right environment where I felt seen and heard. And so it's hard to find, right? Like you don't know, a lot of that's luck. A lot of that's like what job is available at what time, but to be in a space where you have autonomy and you have someone that values what you have to say, your values are in alignment. It allows you to actually like really succeed and fly. And I think, you know, I I would hope that we're seeing shift in corporate America that we start to do that. I think that we've created these sort of like, obviously these cultures around output, 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 and like it's become very group think where it's like, if you don't agree with everyone, then like, this is not the right culture for you. And the reality is like, you don't, you cease to innovate when you don't have people that are challenging how you operate and the people. And if you don't give those people the space, they're going to start their own companies or they're going to leave because that's often, there's a, a book called the Peter principle. I think I've talked about this before in this podcast where it basically talks about how the people that get promoted are the people that most fall in line. 
and that the people that don't fall in line end up leaving because they're not going to get promoted. And so by the time those people become the leaders, they're, they don't know how to be a leader because they've been trained to follow the corporate path. So in terms of like your, all the projects, you've had many, many projects along IMDb resume, which is the one that was the most painful or most challenging for you? Oh, Denise, they're all painful and challenging. <laughs> like very sincerely, I wouldn't say there's one that was that was painless and not challenging. The ones that were the hardest for me to work on were ones that I didn't feel like, that I felt were commerce and that I didn't feel like I was using my brain space, my, um, my efforts towards making something that could be meaningful to people. I think that happy, mindless entertainment for a lot of people is useful, but if I, the ones that I didn't myself believe in, um, or that I was, you know, trying to fit who I am into what I thought I needed to do to be successful, those have probably been the most painful, uh, and challenging for me personally. Um, but I think, you know, if you're going to do this job, like for the people that listen to this for, you know, some sort of insight into what this career is, just go into every movie, television show, knowing that it's a labor, you know, it is a labor. You're, you're managing so many different people and personalities and intentions. And sometimes they're more aligned. Sometimes, you know, you just have a, great leader and great leadership and it's it's a pleasure and it's a joy and working with it and it comes out the way that you wanted it to. But even in those, every single day, the job of producer is of labor and of service and you are a receptacle for all of the problems and there's no one that you get to go talk to and be like, oh, today was a hard producing day. Who gives a shit. You know, they're like, yeah, that's your job. And here's what was hard about my day. So it's why, again, like I use that word facilitator. And I think to do this job, you got to get some sort of joy out of it. Well, I think there's a, there's like a masochism aspect too, where some producers, like they just like are comfortable being stressed. Like I remember like on Sex City 2 was like, oh yeah, a very, very high stress set, right? Like yeah. one page of that script gets out totally dead, right? Like you're shredding copies every day. It's really insane. And I just remember being like, why are all these people doing this job if they're so high stress, they can't even enjoy it, right? And it certainly was not my favorite job, but what I loved about it was I was working in like basically like museum archives of clothing. Like I got this really amazing visceral textile education, even if I wasn't like thrilled to be organizing clothes every day. The reality is like, I, but, but it was like, that was really a wake up call for me, which was like, you're working these crazy hours. You're working with all these people. And if you're not enjoying the process, like why do it? And I think they like liked being stressed. Like I, I couldn't really quite, I couldn't quite understand it. Cause I was like, this isn't coming from Ugly Betty, which is like a very like fun sort of different type of set it was like you, you know you realize you're like I think there's a comfort sometimes in that like you know being in charge and being stressed and organized and also I think people don't know what they don't know and so if you've grown up in a career of production you don't understand necessarily that like it doesn't have to be that way if you don't love it well look the reality is somebody said this to me the other day the road to hell is paved with good intentions right I don't think there are some people that are terrible people that yell and scream and revel in chaos and maybe they're masochistic or maybe they're just assholes, but no one 
that I know and myself included starts out wanting to make a film or a television show or any bit of content and go into having to develop and produce that wanting for it to be a shitty experience for themselves at least. And I think that part of what makes doing that so difficult is that so many different facts an alchemy, so many different things have to fall into place for the experience to be good, however you define that, for the work to be good, however you define that, and then for the final product to come out in a way that you can be proud of and then hopefully is successful, you know, by all of the metrics, right? What I can say is that in my experience, the ones that have been the least painful and have been the least challenging are the ones where there's good leadership. So if you have a director who is a leader on a production, I have found that those crews are happier, those sets are more peaceful. It runs, you know, so you're not working as long of hours. They're prepared. If you have a producer who is there in service of that director, I feel like the same is true. If you have an actor or somebody, usually an actor, right, who is of a quote unquote star caliber and also gets to set the tone with how he treats crew or she treats crew or they treat crew. Do they show up and say hi to people on the set? We don't have to get into this, but part of the reason why and I'm struggling with this being the appropriate semantics, but part of the reason why I think this idea of inclusion and having a greater, um, having more types of people from the identity standpoint and the experience standpoint being on set, why that can be so helpful in making the process better and making the work better is that you have more connections between people. If you have people working on your show who are like, I'm the only of me and I'm experiencing this thing or I'm looking, you know, whatever department you're in, I'm looking at the work thinking, "Mm, that might not be right. And you don't have other people to connect to that breeds a certain energy. So, you know, I have all sorts of thoughts on this. Like, I think there should be a line item for therapists on set. I think there should be a line item for emotional support animals. My dog was with me on my last production and people would come sit in my trailer and just pet her. I think there can be all sorts of things that we can do more, you know, intimacy coordinators, looking at safety in a different way. There's there's a progression happening in this moment, I think in a really exciting way about how you can create better environments specifically on set. But if you want to be a producer, And I think this is true, Denise, I'm sure you relate to this, as if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to go into it with the intention to do everything that you can in your leadership capacity to make it not painful and challenging. And then know that the act of doing it and part of why I think people do it is not that they're masochists, but that it's so fulfilling to produce something on the other side of that. You have to know that it's going to be hard. It's very hard. I think what's so I heard Whitney Cummings once speak about her her like first film she directed and she was like, you know, came to set one day and everyone's like in a bad mood. She's like everyone's just like it was like the worst day. Like everyone was just like mean in a bad mood. And then I realized it was me. She was like, because I'm the director. And so if I don't set the tone or I don't show up accordingly, like there's this massive ripple effect, right? And when you're in those like spaces of leadership, whether it's being an entrepreneur or a producer or director, right? There's really nowhere to hide. And so that's the part of being an entrepreneur for me that really spurred a lot of like the work that I do and how I work is like, and looking, reflecting on myself is because I am a reflection to everyone around me. And so I have to be clear on how I'm showing up because it has effects. I'm not always good at it. Uh, But I think that's such like a a big thing in this work is to know whether or not you're having a bad day or 8,000 
fucking wrenches got thrown into your plan, right? Like that, okay, but I'm a reflection. So it doesn't matter what I'm feeling internally, externally. I have to like, you know, keep the team. Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. So I want to talk about right before we sort of move into a rapid fire is that like you've sort of now in this windy way have found your way into entrepreneurship. Like you've been building a production company from scratch. Yeah. Does that feel right? Does it feel like, is that something that you're surprised Mm, that you see yourself in? I think I've learned so much about myself, you know, on the other side of my last corporate job really was Paramount. And I left Paramount, which was, you know, a big organization, a legacy studio, make six to eight movies a year, you know, very kind of like structured thing, the structure of which has been around for a long time. I left that to go to Vimeo to try to, with not a ton of resources, build a streaming platform in a time where like you had already Netflix and Amazon and all these companies that were resourced by exponents more than, than we were. And I loved it. And it was so hard and it, it was kind of impossible. Um, part of the reason why I think, you know, very smartly the parent company decided to not move forward with it is because it was like an impossible task, but trying to build a company or start a company, hiring new people, coming up with a strategy, really having to have the courage of your convictions of what you thought this company could be and how it could work. That process I loved I loved. And I was like, I mean, I wasn't sleeping. I was like, my face was breaking out. Like I was so stressed out, but I was loving it. And on the other side of it, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to go back into a structure. I want to, I want to keep doing some of that. And so, um, you know, part of what's been great about Outlier is that we're building the plane while we're flying it, which is something that I'm also weirdly very attracted to. I think I like the idea that you wake up every day and you spend time on the thing that you want to spend time on. And it should be, you know, like you're ultimately trying to create a company that could be successful. Um, And so it should be to that end, but you determine what that can be every single day. And you determine what you want the culture of your company to be and what you want the people that work there, how you want them to feel. I never like the hierarchy of Hollywood. I think it's so dumb. We give ourselves titles that in any other industry would be unwarranted for the job that you do and the amount of people that you manage. You know, we, we, if you're an assistant, you're expected to talk never. And if you're a junior executive, (laughs) you're expected to only talk when spoken to. And I've always thought that was so stupid. So from Vimeo on, I was like, I just have always wanted myself to be in a flat culture. So if I ever get to run a group and have people report to me, I want to continue to say, and I say it all the time, like, this is flat, like, fine. Your title is director, coordinator, VP, whatever. But we are all trying to do this very hard thing and we all should be contributing and everybody should wake up in the morning wanting to work towards that effort, not just wanting to collect a check. And so I'm... I realized I'm a person who gets a great amount of pleasure and I hope I have a skill set in building companies, both in terms of building companies that can have the kind of culture that invites the progression that I'm very invested in um, and that I feel is my responsibility and also building companies that by virtue of their success, hopefully change in a progressive direction the industry in which I work. I believe you're doing that. We're going to jump into our rapid fire question segment. What would you tell your 20 year old self? Talk, speak up, 
speak up. I was so afraid to speak like the first time I was in a staff meeting or the first like year when I was in staff meetings, I did not feel like I knew as much. I, I mean, I didn't, but I felt so inadequate and I just wouldn't talk. And then I realized like, you're never going to get more comfortable doing this until you do. And then I also realized that it's not that these people are necessarily smarter than you or more capable. It's that they are more comfortable. So speak up, not like, you know, not to the point of being obnoxious, but start practicing knowing that your voice has incredible amount of value. Start practicing that early. What's the last book you read? The last book I read was this novel called The Vanishing Half. That's amazing. New York Times bestseller by Britt Bennett. It's so good. And it was actually a really nice break from all of my self-help reading. What are you struggling with right now? What am I not struggling with, Denise? (laughs) I mean, where do we begin? What I'm struggling with right now is I would say two things because I think they're both important creating white space for myself, like this idea of working from home or living at work, which there was a New York Times cartoon or New Yorker cartoon about this week is really hard. And I'm a workaholic to begin with to the detriment of my own health and my personal life. And so I'm really trying to figure that out. It's weirdly become harder for me working from home. And the other thing is like, how to manage the overwhelming amount of stuff that's happening right now. So I have my job. I also want to be contributing to not allowing the world to just continue to suffer as much as it is suffering right now. So whether that's trying to um, volunteer towards getting Trump out of office, whether that's trying to think about ways to help people that are financially compromised right now because of COVID, whether that's being an emotional support to people in my immediate life, trying to figure out ways to help. Um, I am about as lucky as you can be right now in COVID in every regard. And so all I want to do is try to figure out ways to help other people. I agree. That's been a big one for me, even if it's small stuff, but it's a really challenging time and just feels like every day is like a new like trauma. And I'm just, yeah, you're just like, how do you just make sure you're good, but then make sure you can show up for the people around you that are not doing as well. What is bringing you joy right now? The people in my life, you know, I have a ponderance of wealth in terms of humans. And from day one in quarantine, I was like, okay, social distancing, got it. And also I'm not going to survive this (laughs) without being around people. Thankfully I have my, like I have my family and then I have my little like pod of folks that I see all the time Um, and being, whether it's digitally or in person, being surrounded by and feeling still a sense of community brings me a ton of joy. And as always, my dog, Simone. What is the best advice you've ever received? Oh, there's two things that I want to touch on. One, my, so my father has been like, has taught me so much in business and is my conciliary, I always say, or one of, and he always does this thing when you're negotiating, which is a thing that I'm still even learning how to like get over my anxiety about asking for, you know, tough things, you know, whatever it is in a negotiation. He always says, how many seasons are there? And usually if you've heard hearing this for the first time, people say four. And he says, no, there's only two seasons. There's your season and there's their season. And all you have to know is whose season is it. 
And if it's your season, ask for what you think you deserve, you know? Um, and if it's theirs, get the best deal they'll offer you. you know? <laughs> and I tell that to my friends when, they, when they're negotiating all the time, because it completely, you know, it's it whatever, like whether it's for a project, whether it's for a deal, you know, it's really been invaluable advice for me. And then when I was in college, I almost dropped out because I looking back on it was having some sort of probably emotional breakdown. And I truly, I was like committed, I'm stubborn and I was committed to dropping out. And I had this whole kind of rationale for why it was actually the right thing to do. And you know, how I was, I was not contributing by being at that institution and creatively I was, you know, feeling suffocated and like I couldn't be myself and all of this kind of like 19 year old bullshit angst. And by the grace of having the people in my life that I do, instead of looking at me and saying like, you ungrateful, spoiled brat, um, my family tried to connect me and an extended family tried to connect me with people that could try to get underneath what was going on with me. And one of them was this woman, Loretha Jones, who at the time was running MTV films and had never met me before and invited me over to her apartment and talked to me for two hours about what was going on. And at the end of it, she basically said, look, you know, as a, as a black woman in this industry, there are a lot of things that people have tried to take away from me. Um, but there are things that they can't. And one of that, one of those things is my education. And I will never take that for granted. And one, it completely changed the way that I was thinking about things and kind of like, got me in check. But also I realized that there are things about you and it can be anything. Like it can be, you know, external, like your education or, you know, your experience, your resume, whatever it can be. And I think this is the most important thing, your name and your integrity and your reputation. Um, but you have to know that there are things about you that no one outside of you can ever make not true, um, can ever take from you. And knowing what those things are and in difficult situations where you may feel undervalued or you may feel inadequate or you may feel an imposter syndrome, reminding yourself of those things and that they're always yours is essential. I'd say those are two things. I'm gonna take our audience through our takeaways. So create access where you can. I love this. You don't have to be successful or super far in your career to still create access. Um, I think any place that you can sort of support someone or help them is very meaningful. If you're in a corporate structure, it's the people, not the place that can help you navigate the system. So find the people that you can agitate appropriately to move things forward. And then, you know, if you're in a place where, you know, I think you, on the converse, you sort of talked about people and values aligning to sort of create this perfect mix of where you are now. And I think that's really important because if you're in alignment, if you have the same values as people and the same purpose, you can express sort of a vision more clearly. And a lot of what I've seen as a through line in your career is your purpose aligns with content, right? If entertainment is the quickest way to create change, which is something that I believe you have found sort of the right intersection or constellation of people to help you express that purpose meaningfully. And I think that I want to redefine something that you said, which is like, you said that you are wealthy in friendship. And I think that that's a big thing for me in redefining success, that it's not just how much you financially make, but if you have a great support system or family or friends or um, are kind, like these are things that also define our success and our wealth. 
I can't thank you enough, Alana. What a joy. Aww, thank you, Denise. It's just really good to see your face. Can I add one thing? I just want to read this tweet that to the point that you just said that um, this amazing person, Deepoku, who has this network for women called the We Network, posted. And it's from this woman, Angela Lee. I don't know who she is, but it says, my therapist just told me that I'm such a product of capitalism that I've replaced any real joy with accomplishments. And then she goes, and I've never been so accurately dragged in my life. But to your last point, you know, this idea of achieving and in this industry, do you have awards or do you make such, you know, a certain amount of money is distracting from, to your point about it being hard and challenging, all of the joy that comes with doing this and the privilege of doing this and all of the joy that you can give to other people not to be Pollyanna by creating things that will mean something to them. So anyway. I agree. I think it's really important for us to find joy in process and not in destination and not in accolades, but it's so, so, so real and so important. So thank you for that. And thank you for being here. I appreciate you. We have a little update. Since we recorded this episode, Alana is now the president of Orion Pictures, a new film division at MGM. We know she will continue to push the narrative forward. We know she's going to continue to shape culture through her films, and we could not be more excited for this next step. Thank you all for listening. You can continue to listen and subscribe to Do The Work on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. It makes a huge difference if you can review, if you can share and rate this podcast. Thank you so much to Entertainment Speakers Bureau, to Angela, to Nichelle, to David, to Matt, to Smart Post Sound, Lenny for that musical intro, Lindsay for the graphics. I am forever in gratitude. I hope you all find and continue to live in your purpose. Mm-hmm.